Let's all turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 14 to 22. We're going to step away from Peter this morning, and I have a reason for that. Let's pray. Father, I lift up this time in your word this morning. And Lord, I, I pray for each and every one of us here today, Lord, that we would have open hearts, that we'd have open ears to hear what you want to say to your church, Lord, in the days that we're living in. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, bless this time, Lord, and that we would bless you. Lord, this church would bless you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have been teaching on Wednesday nights, our midweek service. I've been teaching uh, from the book of Revelation, uh, covering chapters 2 and 3, the seven letters to the seven churches. And this last week, um, I told everyone in a couple weeks we'll finish up uh, the seven letters. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring this letter to all of us here this morning. And the reason why is because I think that this particular letter for the day and age that we're living in is important for us to hear. These seven letters uh, that Jesus gave through John to these seven churches, they were a letter of caution. They were all letters of caution. They were letters of exhortation. They were letters of encouragement. They were letters of promise to these churches. But this last letter that we read uh, here in verses 14 to 22 is a letter to a church called Laodicea. And it's referred to by many as the lukewarm church. I think that the church today, as you've heard me uh, share recently, that I believe that 2021 is going to be a year that we as a church, we need to be prepared and prepare ourselves for the things that I believe are going to intensify as we see the day approaching of our Lord's return. I'm not setting any dates, by the way. I'm just simply saying that we need to be ready, church, for what's coming. And I think that this letter that was written to the church at Laodicea was an important letter for us to hear uh, this morning. Some as they read these letters, some commentators have made application to these seven churches in three ways. First, uh, they believe that these, and we know that these letters were written to individual churches in the area of Asia Minor in John's day. These were real churches that existed in the area of Asia Minor that Jesus was writing a letter to. Secondly, these churches, I believe, in the order in which they are uh, listed in our Bibles, they have some prophetical significance. When you look at church history, uh, we can see that these seven letters, they really line up in a lot of ways with church history. I'm talking about 2,000 years worth of church history. And each one of these churches we could place within a, a time period within these 2,000 years of history. We also have the personal application. That's really what we want to look at this morning. The personal application of these seven letters. And in particular this morning, this letter to the church at Laodicea. The personal application first goes to the pastor. That's to me. It goes to the pastors in this church. A personal application to them. But then it's also an application that you all have to take on board yourself. You have to listen to what's being said here and you have to put yourself in a place of saying, 
which church am I? Which church do I belong to? These seven churches that were written to by our Lord, they started with the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a church that had good works, we're told, but they were a church that had left their first love. Smyrna, the second church, was a church that was a persecuted church. They were persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to them, nothing bad was said of this church, but Jesus said to them, be faithful until death. The church at Pergamos, it was a church that was said to be a compromising church. They were compromising God's truth, the truth of His Word. Thyatira, the church that was the corrupt church. And they were given the opportunity because of their corruptness and because of their false doctrines and their false teaching. They were, they were given the opportunity to repent, but they would not repent. We have the church number five, Sardis. It's referred to as the dead church. A church that was reforming doctrinally, but it was a church that lacked the Spirit of God in it. The church at Philadelphia, we looked at that this last Wednesday. It's referred to as the faithful church whom God had given open doors. And then we come to this morning, this church of Laodicea that's been referred to as the lukewarm church who was rich and who was in need of nothing. Laodicea has been a church that has also been referred to as the last day's church. And so as we look at this church this morning, we need to, as believers, we need to do some self-examination. We need to look within. And we need to ask the Lord. We all want to be one of these other churches that the Lord didn't have anything to say against. But we could be any one of these churches that I just shared with you. So let's all read in chapter 3, verse 14. Look at your Bibles. Let's read this letter to the church at Laodicea. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white garments, and that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I read that letter. And when I read that letter, it, it, it should cause a little bit of concern in my heart. I'm talking about personally for me. 
It should cause some concern in my heart when I consider these seven letters. But when I read this one that has been referred to as the last days church, the church that was lukewarm, I need to consider. I need to consider myself. And I think that we all need to consider ourselves this morning before the Lord. From what we read, Laodicea was a church that was tepid. We might say that it was a bored church, an apathetic church. They were probably over, and I think they were overconfident in their spiritual condition. They were, as Jesus said, a lukewarm church. This word apathetic or apathy is a word that means a lack of feeling, a lack of emotion, a lack of interest or concern. Apathy. It denotes a lack of responsiveness to something that might normally excite interest or emotion in us. It's a lack of passion. Apathy was borrowed into English in the late 16th century from the Greek word apathia, which itself comes from the adjective apathies, which means without feeling, freedom from suffering, passionless experience. To be apathetic. Apathy within the church. I think there's a real danger in the days that we're living in as a church. I think there's a real danger for the apathetic church that I think is really in these days that we're living in. I think it's a big deal. And the problem is, is that many times when you're apathetic, we will sit there, we will hear, and we won't even think that it even applies to me. It has nothing to do with me. That's not me. That's not our church. And I think there's a real danger in that. Here's what a, a person I think that is apathetic in the things of God, what that person might look like. They no longer have an awe. They no longer have a wonder of the beauty of Christ. They no longer just desire to see His glory and His majesty. In, in essence, the wonder of it all is, is gone. It's, it's not there like it used to be. We've lost that feeling. That love, even for our Lord. That zeal that we once had. For the things of God. To serve God. To serve one another. The desire to know Him more is actually fading away. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said this of himself, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. You see, I don't think Paul was apathetic. I, I think this man was zealous to want to know his God more to want to be used of the Lord. And he was pressing on, even in his suffering, and even in his trials and tribulations, pressing on. You see, when the Word of God becomes just stories to you, when there's no application anymore, it's just like, it's like writing on the pages. 
Has there ever been a season in your life, and maybe you're in that season now? You pick up the Word of God, and it's, it's, it's just words on a page. It's a book full of stories. And we read it as if we're just reading a history lesson. There's no real application to myself. There's no repentance in my heart when I read something that strikes me personally. I'm always thinking it applies to somebody else. There's no change week after week. And there's no overwhelming joy in my heart like I used to have. I'm not compelled to do anything more today than I did yesterday, last month, or last year, and maybe even for years. I'm not compelled to do anything more. It's just the same old, same old. All the time. You know, I, 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 this is what I do. An apathetic person might even think, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I mean, man, if you knew me before, and you knew me now, I mean, I've definitely changed. And praise the Lord for that. But I'm not as bad as I used to be. But I'm not really growing. I'm not really pressing forward. There's no real change that is happening in me now because I don't seek for that change. I don't zealously run after the Lord. Jesus says to the Laodiceans in verse 15, I could wish that you were cold or hot, but your apathy, your lukewarmness has led you to say in verse 17, I am rich, have become wealthy, and and I have need of nothing. What a place to be in. That should be even hard for us to even roll off of our lips. I have need of nothing. Lord, I need You in everything. I need You in every aspect of my life. I can't do anything apart from You. I think the church culture today It wants to tell us, don't get fanatical. Don't be one of these crazy Christians out there just getting all fanatical about their their Christian faith and and being bold in their witness and standing up for morality. Don't be fanatical. Keep it within the walls. It used to be If you were called a Jesus freak, it was like a badge of honor. Wow, calling me a Jesus freak, man, that's that's awesome. They're they're calling me something that, man, that's really something I'm doing good. I'm doing well. They're seeing something in me that's different. Now people just look at you like you're a freak at times. Now look, yeah, one of you Christians. Yeah, you know, look how, you know. And, and we all have to assess that. Is it worth it? Are we willing as Christians to make a stand for Christ no matter what? To let our zealousness be seen. Not to our glory, to His glory. I always remember the days when I worked in a warehouse and I led a man by the name of Dennis to the Lord. His good friend Bob rededicated his life and the three of us within this warehouse environment, the other people that we worked with, they used to call us the God Squad. They said that mocking us, by the way. They didn't like the fact that we would be looking for every opportunity to share the Lord in the workplace. 
Some of you don't have no clue what the God Squad is, but I'm referring to the Mod Squad. Remember that TV show? All the, yeah. But we were called the God Squad. And we were bold enough that we wanted to go out and say, you know what, we're actually excited about that title you just gave us. And we went out and had our t-shirts printed up at a place that put it on the back of our shirt. And all three of us came walking into the warehouse that day, the God Squad in big bold letters across the back. It's okay to be unashamed of your faith. This world needs Christ. They need to hear from us. But they don't want to hear from a, from a, a lukewarm Christian that probably wouldn't open his mouth anyway. But one that's excited and zealous about who they are and what they have to share. I probably should have put this warning up front, but there's a warning about this message. This is not a feel-good message. If you're already noticing. It wouldn't make the top ten messages for the Christian church today. And I, my prayer is that I'm doing it with grace. And I'm speaking to myself also. But I have to ask the question, What church are we? Calvary Chapel Fellowship of Winston-Salem. What church will we line ourselves up with in the seven churches? Good question. The church that left its first love? The persecuted church? The compromising church, the corrupt church, the dead church. How about the faithful church, the lukewarm church? I mean, there's really only two of them in there that we would say, yeah, I, I really only one. I mean, unless you want to be the persecuted church, but the persecuted church had nothing bad said about it. Church at Philadelphia, the faithful church, had nothing bad said about it. Is Calvary Chapel Fellowship like the church at Philadelphia? Or are we falling in line with a lot of other churches? The church is the last day church. It is the lukewarm church. Individually, we might be able to say of ourselves if we looked at these seven letters, and we might be able to plug ourselves into one of those. But I think that the church of the Laodiceans is probably the most appropriate for our church age. The last days church. God, would you help us? as a church. We might read about these seven churches and we might read each one of them individually and we might try to apply each one of them to our lives in some way. But when you look at this last church and we see that it is a lukewarm church, And if it is, in fact, the last day's church, that should bring great concern to you and I. You see, for a pastor, one of the greatest fears of a message like this is that it would fall on deaf ears. That you would hear a message like this It wouldn't even move you at all. It wouldn't have any effect upon you at all. That the apathy would be that strong within us that it would just be another message. Another message heard. 
And I think that there's a real danger when we get to that place where we can hear the Word of God taught, especially, these are Jesus' words, this is red letter in your Bible, and you hear these words of warning, and we can just easily just move it aside and say, that doesn't apply to me. Let's look closer at this letter at verse 14. And to the angel, that angel is the messenger or the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans, right? You see, as I already said, it starts with me. It starts with Pastor Scott. Is he in the room? Yeah, it starts with Pastor Kyle. It starts with Bruce, one of our elders in our church. It starts with the leadership in this church. It starts with me. The letter being written to the messenger, to the pastor. We're accountable. And we're not exempt from the warning. As a matter of fact, it starts with us. Some have thought that a man by the name of Archippus, who was called by Paul in Philemon 2, verse 2, a fellow soldier, that he was the pastor of the church at Laodicea. We read in the book of Colossians, Paul writing, in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Now, when this epistle is read among you, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, which we don't have that letter. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Laodicea. The name Leo. Uh, Laodicea is a compound word that is broken down this way. It's first it's laos, which is people, and then it's dyke, which means to judge or to rule. And so when we have this name Laodicea, by meaning it means the rule of the people. That's what Laodicea means. Thus, it's a city that was aptly named for the letter in which Christ writes. Laodicea was known for being an independent and wealthy church within an independent and wealthy city. They were known for their wall, the wall of Laodicea. It was this special wool that was naturally raven black. And it was often dyed to a deep purple in color. The Laodiceans, they were proud of their, their garment industry. And the, the people of that city, because it was a wealthy city, they were well-clothed citizens. Jesus says to them in Revelation 3.18, He says, I counsel you to buy from Me gold refined in fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You see, Jesus gets right to the point. He knows our hearts. He knew what was going on there in this church at Laodicea within the church, within the people's hearts. What are you getting rich from? I counsel you to buy from Me, Jesus says, gold refined in fire that you may be rich. We get it backwards quite often. They were getting it backwards. History also tells us that the Laodiceans were this 
area of Laodicea was a banking center. In the day, it was one of the wealthiest cities in the known world. And due to its wealth, Laodicea was also a city that was minting their own coins centuries before the first century A.D. They already had their own coinage. And like many of the cities in the area, Laodicea, in 60 A.D., they experienced a massive earthquake that hit the area. It actually leveled a lot of the city of Laodicea. History tells us that the city was so rich and it was so independent that the citizens refused any help from the Roman government and they rebuilt their city out of their own resources. We can do it. We got it. We got all the money we need. We can do whatever, you know. And, and that pride of the Laodiceans. Jesus says in verse 17, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. David said in Psalm 62.10, he says, and it's a warning, if riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. That's a warning to all of us. If your material things increase, your material wealth increases, your income increases, things get good in life, things are going well, you got all that you need, the danger is we take our eyes off of the Lord, we put them on our own substance, on our own abilities, what we can do instead of putting our, in keeping our dependency upon the Lord. This verse also draws on another aspect of the Laodiceans' pride. For the city was noted as a medical center in the known world. It was famous. It had a famous school. It was called the Temple of the Carnia Godmen. This medical school was a world famous and it was known in particular for producing an ointment for the eyes and for, for a person's eyes, for healing a person's eyes. Jesus says in this letter to them, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. You see, pride is an ugly thing. I think we all know that. I think we know it firsthand. Pride is one of our, our greatest enemies. It's one of the ugliest sins that we can see in Scripture. Pride. It makes us self-sufficient. Even though our sufficiency should be in the Lord... Pride will keep you from that. Pride basically says to God, I'm okay. I have no need of God. A person without Christ that says, I don't need God, it's pride. A Christian that says that, you know, I don't, I'm doing all right. I'm sufficient. It's pride. You see, often we're more concerned about how we look on the outside. The church at Laodicean was getting caught up into this. Being concerned with what the outside looked like instead of what the inside looked like. Being more concerned with what people think than what God thinks. In Proverbs 16, 18, it warns, it warns us that pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that are humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In 1 John 2.15 we read, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. I think we have to ask ourselves, is my pride standing in my way of moving forward in my walk with Christ? Be, you know, what is it that stands in the way of me advancing in my walk with Christ? Verse 14, it says, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. These are all descriptions of the one who is writing the letter to those at Laodicea, the church there. First he says, I am the Amen. And these words actually speak of his faithfulness, that he's the true witness. He's the Amen. It's a title that is given to him. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says this. It says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, Amen, to the glory of God through us. The faithful and the true witness is writing this letter to the church at Laodicea. Jesus calls Himself the faithful and the true witness, which are attributes that that speak of His sincerity and His truth in writing. He's the faithful and true witness. That word witness there, by the way, is the word martyr. You know what a martyr is. It's a martyr is someone who would die for the truth. He, Jesus, the faithful and the true witness. This description of Jesus, it it, it stood in complete contrast to the church of the Laodiceans because they were neither faithful nor were they true. You see, Jesus, when He says something and how He says it, He always has a purpose in it. And even in describing who He is and who's writing to them, in contrast to who they were, He tells them that I am the beginning of the creation of God. And this doesn't mean that He was a created being, because He wasn't. We know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it says, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, speaking of Jesus, and not anything made that was made. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, the creator of all things. The originator of God's creation. It's with these words that Jesus clearly describes who's writing this letter to them. The one who sees their spiritual condition. The one who sees the spiritual conditions of our hearts. You see, he doesn't just see the the church as a whole. He actually sees your individual heart. He sees my heart. That should get our attention. To each of these seven churches, including this church, Jesus says, I know your works. I know what's in your heart. 
I know why you do what you do. I know why you come to church each week. I know why you serve in the way that you serve. And what you do, I know. The problem with this church at Laodicea was that they had no acceptable works to God. You see, we can do a lot of busyness in the name of God, in the name of our Lord, in the name of our church. And a lot of those works, the Lord says, they're not acceptable. You're doing it all out of the wrong motive and the wrong reason. You come to this place with a wrong heart, a wrong reason to even serve me here. This church was apathetic. They were indifferent. They were lukewarm. And it affected their works. It made their works be unacceptable to God. You see, God is always most concerned with you as a child of God than He is about the works that you do for Him. Being lukewarm, it's a dangerous place to be in. To be lukewarm as a Christian. Jesus says in verse 15, He says, I know your works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, or I might put it this way, because you are apathetic and indifferent, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The New American Standard puts it this way, I will spit you out of my mouth. Others say, I will spew you out of my mouth. I like this translation, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Very descriptive. They're words that should get our attention. Jesus saying, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Something else that Jesus was very good at doing was taking the common things of the day and using them to teach the people something spiritually. He was very good. He was the best teacher. In this particular case, where he's talking about the hot and the cold, they had, in this particular city, they had hot springs that were located in a city called Heropolis. These hot springs, they fed water six miles away, fed water into the city of Laodicea. From these hot springs, they actually had hot water running towards their city. And then to the southeast, the city of Colossae. They also had aqueducts that came out of that city with cold water that ran into the city of Laodicea. Hot and cold water coming into a city. No other city in the area was as dependent upon external water supplies as Laodicea. Jesus says, I could wish you were cold or hot. But by the time that the water would travel from Heropolis and make its way down to Laodicea, you know what happens, don't you? It comes out of the tap really hot. You let it sit for a while. You let it travel for six miles in an aqueduct. And when it gets there, it's lukewarm. How many of you like hot coffee? Yeah, most of you. Me too. Hot coffee. How many of you like cold brew? Yeah, hot or cold? Yeah, how many of you like lukewarm? Be honest. Lukewarm coffee. 
Kyle does. He's the only one that raised his hand. Lukewarm coffee. Not too many people like it. As a matter of fact, my kids bought me a mug for Christmas. And this particular mug hooks up Bluetooth to my phone. And it actually, it's called Ember. And it actually keeps my coffee. I can plug in there exactly what I want it to be. You know what I have it at? 145 degrees. I put my cup of coffee in there, fill it up, and it literally keeps it at that temperature until the last drop. I love it on Sunday mornings because I get distracted as I'm studying and I'm like, and all, halfway through and it's cold, it's lukewarm. I won't judge you for lukewarm, Kyle. It's, it's all right, but no one likes lukewarm coffee. Hot. To be spiritually hot. Let's bring it down into some application. To be zealous for the Lord. To be zealous for working for the Lord. To be cold. To be spiritually cold. To be without enthusiasm. To have no witness. To be neutral in your walk. You don't want to ruffle anybody. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to stir anything. To be lukewarm. To be indifferent. To be neutral. To be apathetic. To be disinterested. Cooling off. And I guess that's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Am I cooling off in my walk with Christ? Think of the time when you were the most on fire for the Lord. The hottest for the Lord. But now, I would consider myself to be lukewarm. How'd that happen? What are some of the things that can cause us to become lukewarm as a Christian? I listed a few. I think we could probably add to it. I think materialism can do that. We happen to be privileged, I guess, to live in America. We've got a lot here. Even though some people, have, it's tough and they have all, but materialism is an enemy of the church in America. It can create a lukewarmness. How about ease and comfort? We have that here in America, don't we? Sin and compromise. They will bring about a lukewarmness. You haven't denied the faith, but you're caught up into your compromise and sin, and and by that, I'm lukewarm. I don't have a heart that is just repentive all the time before. I don't take inventory of my own heart every day. I don't say, God, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. I just just simply kind of allow for it. A lack of time spent in the Word of God and in prayer. Don't do it like I used to. I used to, I mean, I was, man, I was faithful reading my Bible and having time in prayer, and I've gotten away from it, and I'm feeling lukewarm. And another one, there's no outlet in my life. I, I, there's no outlet for the Lord to use me. In a sense, I'm, I'm really self consumed with my day, with my week. It's more about me than anything else. You see, if you don't have an outlet, if you're not giving out, it's more blessed to give than to receive, by the way. That's what Jesus said. If you're not giving out, I can tell you in time, you will become lukewarm. You will become dry. You will feel like you're drying up as a Christian. The only thing, Madeline going on this trip, going away, her heart is going to be stirred. Those team members, their hearts are going to be stirred. 
You have an opportunity to open your mouth for Christ to be used of the Lord. Your heart will be stirred up. Multiply that by doing it more and more. And I will guarantee you that your heart will be stirred. If you have no outlet or you've given that outlet up, in time, this will become old. In time, this won't be enough. And so Jesus says, So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Very graphic. A graphic way to show that your self-sufficiency, your pride, your witness. Jesus says, your hypocrisy sickens me. See, he's the one that's vomiting. Your hypocrisy sickens me. And I will vomit you out of my mouth. Look what he says in verse 17. Here's the hypocrisy of the Laodiceans. Because you say I am rich have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That's your pride. You're no longer dependent on me. Things have gone well for you. You got your eyes off of me and you got your eyes on your stuff. You got your eyes on, you know, everything else but me. But then you come to church. You roll into Laodicea in church. You come into where, and you come and you do your thing. And all the while, you don't realize how wretched you are. How miserable really you are. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian in compromise. Poor, blind, and naked. What you don't see, I see, the Lord says. Your riches, your success, they're corrupting your thinking. Your dependence on God, it's dwindling away. Your pride and your self-sufficiency is even affecting other people. It, 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 the, 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 the pride and the self-sufficiency of the city affected the church at Laodicea. It crept in the church. There's a lot of this stuff creeping into the church today. A church that was materially well off. By all outward appearances, to the poor, this was a well-off church. They had the salve for healing eyes in that city. But Jesus told them, you're blind. You're blind to spiritual things. You're blind to the truth. You're blind to your own spiritual condition. You don't even see it. You think you're okay. But in reality, Jesus says you're really wretched and miserable. The Greek word means to be pitied. Laodicea, this proud and wealthy church, they probably would have been shocked with the thought that they should be pitied. It's like taking a real prominent and wealthy church with all, you know, and you're to be pitied. What? You see, what God sees, we don't always see. 
How man judges a church, God doesn't always judge a church that way. He has a different standard of what He's looking for. Jesus goes on to say, I want to give you some counsel. I want to advise you. I want to, I want to give you some advice. The church at Laodicea, Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The only problem with good counseling I've learned this through the years of being a pastor and giving counsel to people. The only problem with good counseling is that people don't always listen. I've come to know that not everyone who comes in for counseling, that they are expecting advice from God. They, they want to know what my opinion is. And my opinion means nothing. But we should be seeking counsel from above. And I should be coming when I come for counsel and saying, God, what do you want to speak through this pastor to me? The church at Laodicea had the ISAV known for it. But spiritually, they they weren't able to see. Buy from me. Look to me, Jesus is saying. Get what you need from me that you may be rich. Is that your desire? That everything that you need comes from Him? Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And then he says in verse 19, as many as I love, I'm glad he said that. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous, or I could say, be hot and repent. Aren't you glad that it starts out with as many as I love? He starts that out with that and then he rebukes. I rebuke and I chasten those whom I love. You see, the Lord loves you so much. If you get rebuked by the Lord, it's because He loves you so much. He's so patient with us. He's long-suffering more than we could ever be. More patient with us than we ever are. But He will still rebuke you in His love. Because He wants the best for His children. He actually wants you to turn out to be something good. And you know what? He starts in you. He's going to complete. And the road and the pathway to get to that place sometimes is a difficult path. Because the Lord will deal with those who don't listen. They can't see. Be zealous and repent. And Jesus says, allow me to work with your tempered lukewarmness and I will heal. I will forgive. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If somebody's standing at the door knocking, where are they? They're on the outside. They're not in the church. They're on the outside knocking. It's like Jesus standing on the outside of our church door knocking to come in. He should be in the midst, but
but he's on the outside. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We often hear this verse used in an invitation for salvation. But in the context here, it's he's speaking to the church that's in need of repentance. If you hear him knocking on your heart, there might be need of repentance. But it will require us to open the door. To allow God to come in and to do His work. And whether it's repentance that's leading to salvation or repentance that's that's taking us and leading us away from lukewarmness, Jesus says, if you will open up that door, I will come in and I will dine with you. To him who overcomes, verse 21, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Who is He who overcomes? John answers that. Who is He who overcomes? But He who believes that Jesus is the Christ. You're an overcomer if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You already are an overcomer in Christ. And I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. The one who overcomes has this promise to sit with Him, to sit with Jesus on His throne. That millennial kingdom to come, we're going to be seated with Him In that millennial kingdom, we're going to be with Him in that millennial kingdom. And then He closes His letter to this church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice that it's plural. Churches. All of these letters in the same way. Why? Because obviously those that are going to take away and receive from this letter are the ones that have the spiritual ears to hear. We've all heard. Every one of us has heard this message this morning. How we walk away from it and what we take away from it might be different for each one of us. And that's the way it always is. What we hear and then what we do are quite often Two different things. Jesus is saying, if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. I think this message is a message that this last day's church needs to hear. We are living in trying times as a church. I think we need repentance in our church this morning. I think for many of us, we need to get things right. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. But if nobody opens the door, I don't read, I'll bust the lock on that thing. You know, you won't open it. I'll bust through that glass. I'll be in there anyway. It requires something on our part. What do we do when we hear something like that? We either say, Lord, you spoke something in my heart. I need to respond. Or, I don't know. I mean, I've heard that before. I think I'm all right. One or two places. Let's have the worship team come up. I think it was last week.
last Sunday that I gave an invitation for repentance. We had two people come up. In my mind, I thought everybody in this church should have been standing up there. This is not... If you, if you feel a, 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 an uneasiness about what I'm saying, it, hopefully it's the Lord. Because I love this church. I love you, and I want to see the people in this church do well. But I know that the way to advance as a church is going to happen through hearts of repentance, hearts of reliance upon the Holy Spirit, hearts that are zealous and growing in zealousness towards the things of God. If that's you this morning that you lack, then I'm going to give another invitation for us to come up here and to to pray. You just come up before the Lord. You don't even need me to pray for you. You come up here and stand before the Lord. You're not standing before me. You're not standing before anyone else. You're standing before the Lord. Why do you need to come up here? Why can't you just do it sitting down? Because that's part of the problem. If you feel like you're sitting on your hands, like, oh God, man, I can't get them. That's pride. And we need to strip away the pride. We need to say, God, we're the body of Christ. We're real people that have real struggles at times. And yes, Lord, I have gotten away. I'm lukewarm. I'm not where I should be. And I need to get things right. And if that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart, then if you have ears to hear, then you need to respond. And so let's, let's all worship. Let's all stand.